Let's get right into this tonight. I, um, I guess I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is my favorite church of the seven letters that are being written. This is the one that I look at and I go, this is what I want Woodland to be like. This is what I want Woodland to be a model of. When I read the, the seven churches, there's absolutely no criticism of this church at all. And it's comforting to me to know when I was in the sanctuary earlier today, just kind of walking around your pews where you would be sitting tonight and praying, is that, Lord, I just reminded myself, God, you are here. Christ, you are present. You're among your people. You're watching over your church. You're watching over every family. You're watching over every single parent. You're watching over every child. You're watching over all of us, and um, that's the thing that I really want you to take, understanding Revelation. If Genesis was about God, 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 then Revelation is going to be about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So I want you to stand with me tonight. I'll read you to the passage that we're going to be looking at. Uh, the reference is there, but not the text in your outline this evening. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And if this is your first time, the angel is the pastor of the church. The word angel means messenger. Uh, it could be um, that if you wanted to take and say that they're angels, yes, we're surrounded, the Bible tells us, by heavenly host, and that the angel of the Lord protects those that fear the Lord. But in this case, the messenger of the church, the pastor, this is the message from one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. Let me stop right there. Again, it's important to remember, John is exiled on Patmos. John is exiled on this island. We talked about that in the very first series in this message of, of that colony that he was at, and it was a penal colony. They couldn't kill him, and so they put him there. And um, God gave him this, these seven letters for these seven churches. Jesus shows up and dictates this letter to John. When he opens, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can choose. You have a little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look at that sentence again carefully. You have a little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. They weren't a large church. They weren't a powerful church. They were not a rich church. They were not a an influential church. And so I think that's the thing you kind of have to, to really take out of this sentence right here. You have a little strength, yet you obeyed me and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. And they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love, and because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. We'll deal with that in a minute, but there's an introduction of a phrase into the book you need to take, time, take note of. A great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to the world. I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. And anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand. Say that. Understand. Say it again. Understand. Say it again. Understand. You can understand the book of Revelation. It is not a locked up book. It is not a sealed up book. Jesus says to, it's not like in Daniel where the book was sealed up until this end of time. 
This is a book that you can understand. And when people try to make it confusing, they miss the message of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in the book of Revelation. Amen? So anyone who hears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the church. And let me read you uh, one other passage here from Isaiah 26, verse 3 through 4. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed upon you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Heavenly Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ tonight to speak to our hearts and draw us into this book. Draw us in particular into the life of this church and help us to see why it's a model not only for Woodland, but a model, Lord, for every church. I pray, God, tonight for that anointing that, Lord, I will, can take the, the things of God and make them so clear and simple that even a four-year-old could understand it. Lord, that a nine-year-old could understand it. Not that we are trying to make simpletons out of the church, but so that, Lord, we may take the gospel and present it simply so that we may share the good news of Jesus for those lost people that will come and acknowledge that, God, we are loved by you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Grab a pen and follow along with me. Well, the revelation of Christ speaks to our need. And one of the things that keeps really coming out to me as we go through these seven letters is we learn a little bit more about Jesus. But this particular revelation of Christ to the to the church in Philadelphia, I mean, they would have gotten everything that John had said in all these seven letters as we were talking. All of them would have been read by the other churches. But in particular, you're seeing God reveal himself according to the needs that we have of him. And sometimes I think it's important to remind people, we don't know everything there is to know about God. I've been studying theology all of my life, and I enjoy reading it. Sometimes I enjoy reading people that I can argue with. And in my books and in my writing, I win the argument. Now, if I sit down with them, it might be a different story, but I, I enjoy just reading and, and looking and seeing because one of the things that I've become absolutely persuaded of is that God is so much bigger. And as I've said before about our faith in Christ, there's more to Christianity than what we've experienced. And part of my prayer for us today is that we would walk not only in the fullness of the Spirit, but we would walk in the fullness of all the Spirit has for us. And I think I'll be able to demonstrate that to you tonight from this passage. The Bible says in Revelation 3 and verse 7, this is a message from one who is holy. And I think you need to circle that word in your outline. I tried to highlight some of these for you tonight so that you could uh, go ahead and put the revelation of Christ speaks to our need and then put that next uh, verse up there. Uh, you can fill that in. Our need is your fill in. And then if you'll put verse 7 um, uh, up next, go ahead and put verse 7 up for me. There you go. I think you need to circle that word holy because that's one of the aspects that, that John wants you to get, that Jesus wants you to get. This is the Holy One of God. This is, this is God who is so separate from the things of this world, fully man, fully God, fully risen from the dead, as we looked at Easter Sunday morning. Fully man, fully God, but is holy and separate, as you and I are called out of this world to be holy and separate from the things of this world. And the things of this world doesn't mean cars and houses and lands. It means the things the world values. It means the world's system, the world's organization. It means those things that appeal to the, to the lust of our life, and it appeals to the, to the pride of our life. It appeals to those things that we think we can find wisdom outside of God. It's this separation of holy 
holy, but it's also God, Jesus wants you to know he's true. What Jesus says you can count on, what Jesus says you can bank upon, he is the one true God. But there's another phrase here I want you to get, and you want to circle this. He has the key of David. He has the key of David, and that's an important passage, and all of the Jewish readers of this book would have grasped that. And if you're an Old Testament reader, if you read through the Bible every year, you have read about this before. Let me just take you to Isaiah 22 and verse 22. There's several other passages, but I'll give you one tonight. I will give him, he's talking about the descendant of David, I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them, and when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. One of the things that you have to know about Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy, especially as we come and we're reading these letters, these letters are fundamental to understanding what happens past chapter 4. As a matter of fact, someone called me today and said, you know, I've never heard Revelation preached on past chapter 3. I've heard a number of messages on chapter 3. They couldn't be here with us tonight. He says, but I'm looking so forward to, to, to when you pick up with chapter 4. And I said, well, it's very important that you understand you cannot really understand the book of Revelation without understanding those four letters and understanding just a bit about Old Testament prophecy. One of the prophecies were made was that there would be a descendant of David that would sit upon the throne that would hold the key to the house of David. What he opened up to the castle, if he opened up the castle, he chose who could come in. When he shut the door, he chose who could not go, go out or come into the, to the castle. The gatekeeper, the one that holds the key, they're kind of like the secretary. Have you ever tried to get to somebody that you wanted to talk to and you get a hold of their secretary and she's wearing a battle helmet and she's got a gun and everything else and you can't get through to that person? I told my sons when they started traveling, this is one thing that you want to do for every secretary that helps you. Send them a thank you card. Send them one flower. Send them something that lets you know that you appreciate their help. Your call will always go through from that time forth. And so this gatekeeper was very, very important. And this gatekeeper, people look at this and says, well, how could Jesus fulfill it? Because after the destruction of Jerusalem, there was never a throne again in Jerusalem after the destruction and the collapse of the second kingdom, after Herod's collapse, the temple, that, that temple there, there was never again a throne in that, in that kingdom, and the next king to sit upon the throne of David will be Jesus Christ when he returns again. Can we give him a hand of praise this evening? It's important to understand. You're getting something here that is so huge in this little bitty phrase. It was like I said Sunday morning. Most people are, they have to have their father to die before they can become a king. Jesus was born a king. That is a total prophetic conundrum. How can you be born a king? You cannot be born a king unless you are God in the flesh. That's what the incarnation is, and that's what the book is all about when we talk of the book of Isaiah is all about it. So you're seeing he who holds the kingdom. Those first Jewish Christians, they were people, they were people that had been kicked out of the synagogues. Those first Jewish Christians, and we looked at that 
two weeks ago, Keith did a marvelous job preaching last week, I understand. But two weeks ago, we looked at how those early Christians were kicked out of the synagogue, especially because those early Jews had come to an accommodation. I told you all about Smyrna, and I told you all about how they could do things. They'd come to an accommodation by just burning a pinch of incense. They could say, Caesar is Lord, and somehow or another, they prospered, they blessed, they, they maintained their, their religious identity, but they had compromised their faith, and those early Christians would not confess that Caesar is Lord. They would only confess that Jesus is Lord, and because it messed up the economy, it messed up the business, it messed up the emperor worship, it messed up all the... As a matter of fact, they were called atheists. Did you know that? They were called atheists. They were kicked out of the synagogues. So these early Christians were Jewish people who would have understand this. And I think what you have to see here is Jesus is saying, listen, I hold the key of David. I determine who gets in. I determine who's kept out. And I'm going to defend, and I'm going to protect you, and that's the message you hear. And if you read my Facebook post or my text message tonight, that's what it was all about. God will protect. God will defend those who confess Christ and share Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise tonight? I want to be that kind of man or a woman. One of the things that always fascinated me when I read and studied and began to visit in different parts of Central Europe and Germany and went to different concentration camps, concentration camps that came as far as Belgium where Jewish people were exterminated, was that you don't often hear this side of the story. As a matter of fact, at one of our universities, at Rutgers University, Julie Seltzer Mandel, she's head of what is called the Nuremberg Project, and she has tracked how that Hitler's Nazi regime also wanted to destroy and take over the church. Some of you I know, like Dick and like Paul, you've read Eric Metaxas' great book about Bonhoeffer. You've read about how he opposed Nazism. There was just recently a great uh, video on, on the um, Netflix about why and how they came to an ethical decision that it was right to make the decision they made in the Valkyrie incident. And it was a very fascinating thing. But one of the things that they were trying to do was defend the church because the church was being taken over by the Nazis, was being radicalized, and all of the youth ministries and all the Christian education ministries and all the pulpit ministries were being told they had to submit their messages to the Nazis to be approved they had to submit their messages to the minister of education to be approved because only approved messages could come from, from the pulpit. Does that remind you of anything that a mayor tried to do in the city of Texas just about two or three years ago when she demanded the sermons of pastors that had to do with homosexuality be approved by city hall before they could be preached in their pulpits? It's what's happened to our neighbors in the north is there is a radical group of people in Canada who want to try and make it illegal for the church to preach against any sin that society says is okay to deal with. It's why it is so important as you and I study the book of Revelation tonight, we must be clear that the same power of evil that was present then, that same power of evil is present today, and the only thing that is holding it back is not the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit working through the church. And when the church is raptured out of here, the world literally will go to hell in a handbasket. And so that's what you're looking at, the beginning and, the, and this picking up right here. So the second thing I'd like you to see out of this is that I'm going to walk through any doors that God opens. I will walk through the doors that God opens. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. 
I know all the things. Circle that word, the things. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have a little strength that you have obeyed my word. Circle that phrase, obeyed my word, and did not deny me, and circle that phrase, did not deny me. I want you to see those three things. The things you do, you have obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. What we need to look at for here, for understanding all that's about to come forth in chapter 4, is what door was God opening up? I was proposed to you there are three doors that God opens up to us. It's the door to Scripture. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would help us to understand the Word of God. It's the reason I'm so confident. It's the reason I can stand here and say tonight, if you will walk through this book with me, you will understand the book of Revelation. I won't try to sensationalize it. I won't try to dramatize it. But I will bring you the truth that has been preached and delivered to us once from all the ages. And the Holy Spirit, if you will study study prayerfully the Word of God and go through these outlines, God will help you to understand and grasp it. The second thing I want you to see is God opens a door of mission to all of us. God has opened a door of ministry to us here in Brownstown. God has opened a ministry to us in Woodhaven and in Trenton and in Flat Rock and in New Boston and in Allen Park. I could go on. The, the people who come to our church, they come as far away as Bloomfield Hills. They come from as far away as Birmingham. They come some from northern Ohio who come to worship with us, God has opened a door of ministry for us. But the key to that ministry is not the pastor walking through that ministry. The key to that ministry is the church walking through that door. This message has been delivered to the pastor to deliver the church. And the third thing I want you to see, and that is true for every Bible-believing church, the third thing I want you to see is God has opened the door to heaven to those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. And you will dramatically see that throughout the rest of this book. This open door is just incredible. And so I'd like to say just two or three things to you tonight about these three things. The door to the scripture, the door to mission, or the door to ministry, and the door to heaven. I seek the Lord every single week, every single Sunday morning. I pray the same prayer. I've told you that over and over, so I don't want to, you know, be, uh, just drag that out again, but I pray over and over, Lord, you brought my family here. I want to lead this church only as long as I can provide healthy leadership, biblical leadership, and when that time is over, then I should step aside, let me know. I, I, one of the things that the Lord spoke to me a long time ago is you don't have to worry, I'll tell you when it's time to go, and I try to do that daily, but at the same time, I yield to the wisdom of the congregation and what the church has to say. I don't fear any of that. I walk in a total confidence in what God has done. I rejoice walking through this sanctuary that for 19 years, we have enjoyed blessed ministry together. We've enjoyed outreach. There have been missionaries, nine churches planted out of this congregation. God has done amazing things through Woodland Church. Can you give him a hand of praise for that tonight? Amazing things. Now, point that I want to illustrate is, why do people always look for another door other than the one that God has opened up for them? Why do people beat their heads against closed doors that God says, I've closed, and no matter how much you try, you're not going to open that door up? Why do people get so unsatisfied? Our cows, our cows have beautiful green, green, like Ireland, the greenest pastures you've ever seen. And our cows would stick their heads through the fence to eat the weeds out of the ditch. And sometimes we'd have to go out there and straighten their heads up and slide them right back through. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You ever grew up, been around farming? 
I mean, here they had a whole pasture, but it just, the ditch. What does the ditch taste like? And here's the point I'm trying to make. When God opens a door, walk through that door, be confident you're not alone. Christ is with you. And if Christ be with you, who can be against you? Hallelujah. Give him one more hand of praise tonight. Amen, amen, and amen. The second thing I want you to see is even though God gives you an open door, God will also give you the strength that you need for your ministry. God will give you the strength that you need for your mission or for your ministry. The Bible says in Revelation 3.8 to these people in Philadelphia, you have a little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Circle that phrase, little strength, right there. What I want you to get is they weren't a big church. They weren't an influential church. They probably were nowhere close to the size of congregation that we are. They definitely didn't have the kind of facilities that we had. And yet, God says, you're using what I gave you. And God typically doesn't bless you with more until you use what you've got for his glory and for his honor. Does that, are you tracking with me right there? You've got to use what you get. Sometimes people will go somewhere to another church. You know, this last week when I was down in Jacksonville for the funeral, they have got a 20 by 60 foot computer screen on the stage. That is a huge, it's a computer screen. It can be disassembled in different sections. I sat there lusting. I texted Becky and I said, you need to pray for me. I'm lusting right now. She said, what? All caps. I said, there's a 20 by 60 screen on the platform. She sends, ha ha. Here's the deal. I looked at that screen. I began thinking, but we don't need that kind of screen yet. We can see what's up here, right? I pray the day comes when we'll need that kind of screen, okay? But the point I'm making is you've got to use what you've got right now. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5, may the Lord lead you into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Ministry is not only prayer. Ministry is not only fasting. Ministry is also hard work. And if you're not willing to work hard, you haven't answered the call to ministry. And I'm not talking about just being a pastor. I'm talking about if you're a small group leader. I'm talking about being an evangelist, being a witness in your community, being a witness in your subdivision, you know, bearing, bearing witness to Christ in, on your job. It's learning how do I become contagious? How do I become salty? How do I become light-filled? It's spending the time on your knees in prayer, seeking the anointing of God that breaks the yokes and removes the fellowship. It is simply preposterous that any Christian would begin their day and and send their children out to school, send their husband or their wife out to work with all the dangers that we are surrounded by without simply getting up in the morning. You don't have to spend a long time, but kneel before the Lord and say, God, I want to love you more today than I did yesterday. I want to serve you better today than I did yesterday. And I ask you to put your protecting hand upon my family and anoint what we do for your glory and honor. That's saying we trust in the Lord and then we go forth and we work hard at our jobs, we work hard in our ministries, whatever God has called us to do. Sometimes when people come to me and say, oh, I wish we had what you had, or I go to a large church like I was in last week and I say, I wish I had what they had. 
Friends, God hasn't called us to do the ministry that he's called Evangel Temple to in Jacksonville. God hasn't called us to do the ministry that he's called uh, New Hope to do in Taylor. He hasn't called us to do the ministry that he's called our Lutheran friends down the street on Arsenal, which I, I love very dearly. He's not called us to do the work of any other church. God has called us to do our work. God has called the church of 50 or 60 to do their work. I have preached in churches as small as 10 and 15 people who have had a powerful impact on their community because they ministered in the strength that God had given them. And that's what we have to get a hold of because we have made a mistake in America. We equate success with ministry. We equate success with stuff. Moses slapped the rock and water came out, but that was not successful. God wept over that because he didn't do things the way God called him to do it. And because of that, God said to him, Moses, you can't enter the promised land. You might think that is cruel and you might think that is cold, but friend, remember, he that has called us is both holy and true. We must walk in the reverence and the fear of the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. He's holy, he's true. So let's look, what did they do that was so well that earned them no criticism, just praise? Number one, the church is honored for the things that they do. They're honored for the, what things would they have done? I'm sure they would have ministered to the sick. I'm sure that they would have ministered to the broken. I'm sure they would have ministered to the lonely. I'm sure they would have shared their faith in Jesus. That's part of why they were kicked out of the synagogue. I'm sure that they worshiped in spirit. I could just go on and on. The things, when I sit down and begin to imagine, what would they have done? They were trying to be like Jesus. They were trying to minister in that strength that Jesus gives. Faith that doesn't lead us to do good deeds is all alone and dead. Let me read it again. If we're not doing good deeds or good works, our faith is dead and it's useless. It's exactly what he's saying there. There has to be something that we're doing and serving. The church is honored for their loyalty to his word. They're not looking to try to explain away the miracles of Jesus. They're not looking to make the gospel more acceptable to the culture. They're not looking to make the church more acceptable to the culture. They're standing in the power of the cross. They're standing upon the word of God, and they're believing that if they lift Jesus up, he will draw all men nigh unto themselves. We never, ever, ever compromise on the word of God. It may be offensive to some, but it is the power of God unto salvation. That is what the gospel is all about. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The church is honored for their loyalty to Jesus Christ. It would have been real easy, as so many others did, to have compromised, just to burn a pinch of incense, and everything would have been well. The culture would have liked them, the community would have liked them, the Jewish people at that time would have liked them, but these first century Jewish Christians, they recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they would not deny him. It's the reason that one of our doctrinal statements is, we believe in the one true God who manifests himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost our Holy Spirit. And so it's very important there. The life lesson that I want to be clear about here is be clear about who Jesus is. Be clear about who Jesus is. Be clear about Jesus. I, <clears throat> I'm constantly moving people on to my impact list or off to my impact list according to when they get saved. And I hope you still have an impact list as well. But 
I'm building relationships with Muslim people. I'm building relationships with Jewish people. I'm trying right now to build a relationship with a Sikh man. It's not going very good. That probably needs to be edited out as well. But here's the deal. They respect me, and I respect them because I'm absolutely clear about who I believe Jesus Christ is. We do not worship the same God as the Muslim. And that's not an insult to the Muslim. If the Muslim, the Muslim believes in Jesus, but he doesn't believe that he was the son of God. The Muslim doesn't believe that God is your father. The Muslim doesn't believe that Jesus died for your sins. We do not worship, we do not worship the same, so we gotta be clear. And with my Jewish friend, he and I exchange greetings and we are building a very close and very good relationship. And I've learned so much from some other Jewish friends who are Messianic believers and just how to build this relationship, but I don't press him, but I'm very clear about who Jesus is. He's very, he's an Orthodox Jew. He's very clear about his faith. And there is a understanding and a respect that's growing. Now, I would be less than honest with them. I tell them I pray for them. I, I believe that one day God is going to open their eyes and they're going to behold and see Jesus Christ and they will become even more of a passionate follower of Christ than I am. And you may say, Pastor, that's a pipe dream. It's happened before. Every time you read an epistle from the Apostle Paul, it happened. Can you say amen? So it's important that we understand that. The life lesson, again, in this passage so far is for us to remain faithful to Christ and encourage one another. Remain faithful to Christ and encourage one another. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Circle that, or just underline that last sentence. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. When I read this, now look at me. It shouldn't take you long to underline a sentence. Look at me. When I read this, I get so happy because all through the Old Testament, now listen, all through the Old Testament, we're told that the Gentiles are going to bow down to the Jewish people. He makes that promise to Abraham. He makes that promise to the prophets. But all of a sudden, we are grafted in. We are grafted into the vine. We've been adopted by the Father. We have become sons and daughters of God. And the unbelievers will come, not in heaven, but upon this earth. They will eventually come if we will be loyal to Christ, loyal to his word, love one another, encourage one another. If we'll stay faithful to the mission that God has called us, we'll keep our eyes on the promise of heaven. There will be such a magnanimous outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us that they will recognize we are the people of God. I believe it was Michael W. Smith, some of you who are my age, you will remember, hear us, you powers of darkness. Hear us, hear us, hear us. We're the people of God, called by his name, bought by the blood. We've been redeemed from sin and shame. What a powerful song it was. It's reminded us from this chapter who we are in the presence of God. And so I would submit to you tonight the church's greatest witness is not only when it worships God in spirit and truth, but when we love one another and we remain faithful to represent him in our world. Can you say amen? The next thing I want you to see, and I mean this a little funny, but it's true. Open doors means that flies and people can come in. Okay? I have found that to be true, especially in Michigan. We get these big green flies in our neighborhood. And it's those peonies, I think, that Becky has got planted in the backyard. They breed those flies. I don't know how they come, but 
You just, when you open up the door to let guests in, every guest that comes in, there's going to be two flies that follow them in our house. And I hate that. And I know you hate that. But here's the point I want you to get. Sometimes people are afraid about opening the door, opening the door of their home to, to their neighbors, opening the door of their homes to their small groups, opening the doors of the church to the lost who want to come to know Christ. Friends, there will be flies. We don't have to be afraid of the flies. What we want are the people who have a hungry heart for God. Amen? Amen? And occasionally we have to deal with a couple of flies, but that's okay. That's what we do. That's what you do in your home. The church is promised, and I believe this applies to us as well, they will experience an amazing breakthrough within their city. Now, God is saying, they're going to come and they're going to bow down at your feet and they're going to acknowledge. That's revival. That is revival. When people begin to come and acknowledge, God is in this place. God is in this church. I could not, Rick, some of you were looking at some of the cards that came in. I sent out a fistful of cards yesterday to people who were worshiping with us on Sunday morning here for Easter. People that says, I felt God. I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. Last Friday night, we had such a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit in this church. It wasn't a dry eye in this altar as we were worshiping around this altar and seeking God together and people experiencing God. Here's what I want you to know. You will know a breakthrough has happened when God begins to touch the heart of unbelievers because when we worship the Lord, the Spirit of God is manifested in our presence. And don't let that scare you. That doesn't mean that people are going to be weird. There may be some flies, but what it means is the power of God will be authenticated in our lives because of the love of Jesus Christ. I asked Shimon Perez, his press secretary one time, why do you think Jesus was so influential among the Jews? He says, that's a simple question to answer. This was sitting in front of the wailing wall. He said to me, he said, because people knew that Jesus loved them. People knew that Jesus cared about them. People knew that when Jesus taught, he was teaching them the way of wisdom. He took the Torah and he explained it to them and applied it to their lives. He said, the fact that I don't believe that he's the Messiah doesn't mean that I don't understand why Jesus was so powerful. Friends, all that kept rushing through my mind that day was that God says in his word, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Amen? And so let's keep on moving through this. The life lesson for our, God will use us to reach lost people. Uh, I put Philadelphia here, but you could put Brownstown, Allen Park, wherever you live at. Number 10, the life lesson for us is we want to live in the realm of Christ and welcome seekers. Welcome seekers. Welcome people who are looking. Welcome people who want to know Jesus. Welcome those who are green. Welcome those who are rough. Welcome people. Let them be welcome in your home. Let them be welcome on your porch. Let them, the other day somebody sent me something that somebody had sent them and the only time that person has spent time with me is just sitting on my porch or sitting with me at Starbucks. Let welcome, be, it doesn't matter how rough their life may be. We do not have to be afraid of lost people. That was really quiet. Are you still with me? We do not have to be afraid of lost people. I remember a few years ago, I was preaching here on this subject, and somebody came to me and says, well, I'll tell you right now, I don't want anybody coming into my house that drinks and smokes. Our house is a holy place. I said, no, it's not. 
I said, because you hate lost people. <laughs> and I said, the way you screw up your face, I said, that doesn't mean they can come in your house and smoke. I don't let people come in my house and smoke. But sometimes when they leave, they've stunk so bad, we had to spray the house with Febreze. Right? But you welcome them into your home. That's why one of them is in heaven tonight. Because we've got to stop being afraid of lost people. God is big enough to keep our children saved. He's big enough to keep our family safe. He's big enough to keep our church and our home safe as well. Amen? Life lesson is we can't love people we don't know. We can't love people we don't know. And that's why we have to build relationships. A few years ago, I gave out, I don't know if, if you remember it, but I gave out a book here called Outlive Your Life. How many of you remember that book? It was a little orange book. Yeah, some of you do. Gave that book away. Let me read you something Max Lucado wrote in that book. He said, long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchen tables and dinner tables. Even a casual reading in the New Testament unveils that the house is the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place of the church was the home. Consider the genius of God's plans. The first generation of Christians was a tender box of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshiped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? I wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with a Muslim couple down the street? Can divergent people get along? The early church did, and they did it without the aid of a sanctuary, a church building, or seminaries. They did through the clearest message of the cross. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried on the, again, he was buried and on the third day he rose again. Let's give him one more hand of praise tonight. It still works. Well, let me wrap this up because I want us to have some time in the altar tonight. Becky, if you'll come on down, sweetheart. I will choose then, I will choose to live in joy and victory. I don't know what's going on in your life you may have some real trials going on in your life right now. But now that you've got that written down, look at me. It's your choice if you're going to live in joy. It's your choice if you're going to live in victory. You get to choose that. You get to choose whether or not you're going to work with joy, serve with joy, pray with joy, study with joy. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be burdened. It doesn't mean that you won't ever cry. It doesn't mean that you won't ever hurt. But you can choose to experience the victory of Christ during those hurts and those pains and those disappointments. What Christ did is a living work. Somebody asked me, he says, why don't we have all the different sacraments that the Roman Catholic Church does? Well, because we believe firmly in what the Word says. The living presence of Christ is among us. The living presence of Christ is in you. If you have a car accident tonight, and I'm not saying this to be insulting, there's just one of those differences that I illustrated. I love to read theology. I love to read it. But if you have a car accident tonight, you don't need me to be there to say lost rights over you. You don't need me to come and sprinkle water on your casket for you to get to heaven if you drowned at sea. You may be fish baked, but come the resurrection, you're going to rise again. 
there are certain things we're told to do. We're told to baptize. We're told to take communion. We're told to anoint with oil. There's certain things we're told to do. But those are not sacramental in the sense that they save us. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, the living presence of Christ is with the church. And again, I don't mean this critically. I understand. We don't need a bell to tell us that a miracle has taken place. A miracle is taking place right now if you're listening to the word of the Lord this evening. You choose whether or not you walk out of here with a miracle. You choose whether or not you walk out of here with joy. You choose whether or not you walk out of here like this early church. They had little strength. They had little influence. And you may think, I don't have the education of other people in this church. I don't have the resources of other people in this church. I don't have the nice home of other people in this church. I don't have this. I don't have that. Stop looking at what you don't have and look at what you've got. A little strength with God will break down the gates of hell. A little strength with God will break down the gates of hell. R.A. Torrey said that when the weakest Christian bows on his knees and cries out the name of Jesus, all of the foundations of hell begin to tremble. And folks are always looking at what they don't have. Instead of looking at what we do have, you get to choose. Jesus goes on to say, hold on fast to what you have. Persevere. Don't let anybody take your crown away from you. Don't let anybody. Because if you'll skip all the way down, there you are. Because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Look at me. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but this is the first glimpse of something else. There is going to come a time of tribulation upon this planet that we've never known. And when I think about not just the genocides of Hitler and Pol Pot, but when I've walked on the battlefields of where Genghis Khan has fought, when I've been in Asia and seen where the Khmer Rouge has been, when I see those kinds of things, When I walk in parts of South America where there are mass graves of people that were slaughtered, when I stood on the shores of the Scottish Sea and the Irish Sea, right at the very place where Christians were martyred for their faith, when I stood and took pastors to pray where William Tyndale was martyred for his faith, the Bible you hold in your hands tonight is the work of his hands in translating that. I think what is coming upon this planet What terrible time of testing is coming? But that time of testing is not appointed to the church. That doesn't mean the church won't go through tribulation. We have brothers and sisters tonight around the world that are suffering for their faith. That doesn't mean the church won't go through, and the church has been through some terrible testing times, terrible tribulation times. Becky and I have walked in those places in Rome, I've walked in those places in the Middle East. But there is coming a time of evil. And the reason I bought out, the world will go to hell in a handbasket when the church is raptured out of here. Because the church is the body of Christ upon this planet. And what the church chooses to loose will be loosed. And what the church chooses to bind will be bound. And that's talking about forgiveness. When we forgive one another, when we forgive those who hurt us, when we forgive and love our enemies, we are inviting the miraculous working power of the Holy Spirit into our lives.
Do you follow what I'm saying? So he's saying, I'm going to protect you from that. And then he gives them this promise. I'm coming soon. So hold on to what you have. That word soon, don't think of soon like if I was coming to your house tonight, Bob, and you were going to have walleye fish for us to eat. And uh, we were going to be sitting there. I just said, I'll be over soon. You'll be expecting me. That word is not, that's not the Greek word there. The better word translated from the word is suddenly. Suddenly. I'm coming suddenly. It'll, it'll be at a moment that you think not, the Bible says. So hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown and all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. They will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. And I'll also write on them my new name. You say, Pastor, why aren't you going to go over that? Because I'm going to teach more on that as we go along. But let me just say like this. You're going to find all of these references, the ark, the pillar, the temples, the altar, the sea, the lampstands, the tabernacle, all through Revelation, this is going to appear because this book is not only about Jesus, it's about our responsibility to worship Him. I want you to grab your notes. You need them. I wrote it out for you at the end, but grab your notes and come to the altar with me tonight. And I want to read this growth work to you. This church had a lot to do with the shaping of our mission statement 19 years ago. If you would take your growth work and look at that paragraph, right underneath it. <clears throat> Today, one of my sons called me and told me, he says, Dad, we're worshiping in a church that's a lot like Woodland. And then he proceeded to tell me what that was and why they were worshiping there. There couldn't have been a bigger, bigger smile on my face and more joy in my heart to let my children get this. And although I believe we've been doing this, I believe there's much more. Part of how we got to our mission statement, our vision statement for Woodland, I wrote for you in the growth work Kingdom living or life in the Spirit is the reality that we live in. It's a supernatural reality. A reality that Christ is with us. The gifts, fruit, power, and process of the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus Christ when He walked upon the earth is ours to participate in. Ministry is the overflow of God's love in our hearts to one another and lost people. Unbelievers are not the enemy. Satan is. Therefore, we decided long ago that Woodland would not be a program-driven church. In other words, we didn't want to be known by the fact that we were always on the campus. But we would welcome the seekers, the lost, the hurting, the needy and the laborers God gave us with the love of God. And everyone who walks through our doors needs to know they matter to God and to us. We will always seek to help others to live as we do. I believe in this life, don't you? Lovers of the one true living God who celebrate God's love by persuading people 
to become passionate followers of Christ. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated Romans chapter 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God had chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Not the church, not me. God has given us right standing with himself. So who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Died for us, raised life for us, pleading for us. So can anything separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, Christ has opened the door for us to heaven. Like the door was open for the ark. Christ is opening the door to people that you know and love and have relationship with. Some that don't love you and some you may not even like right now, but they are not the enemy. Satan is. But hell cannot stand the onslaught of a church that loves God, loves each other, and loves lost people and seeks the Lord for an anointing. So tonight, Lord, I ask you in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, Lord, we would give you such thanks for the open door that you've set before us. We don't take it for granted, Lord, that you've given us a ministry in our community. Jesus, you are the holy and the true God, and you hold the keys of David. That's our need, Lord. We need the holiness. God, as we used to sing, holiness, holiness is what I long for. God, truth matters. It's sacred to us. And Lord, we serve the one who not only holds the key to the kingdom, but to death, hell, and the grave as well. Lord, I thank you tonight that you will give us, Lord, the strength and the courage, God, to walk through the open doors, the doors of ministry, the doors into reading your word and the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the help of preaching and teaching of small group leaders, devotional aids, Lord. And I'm praying for supernatural strength for everyone here tonight and those that can't be here, Lord. I'm praying whatever strength they need, God, help them to know their little strength. Our church's measure of strength, Lord, is enough to crush the powers of darkness. So I ask you, God, would you honor Woodland tonight? 
God, would you honor us with your presence because we love your word. We love your spirit, Lord. We love those that you have destined for salvation, Lord. We love those that you have died for. Lord, we help we ask you tonight to help us to be 100% clear about who you are. God, without being abrasive, but in a respectful and a loving way, declare your word. Jesus, I ask you tonight that you will help us to encourage one another to catch each other doing something right, to catch each other, Lord, whether it's serving, whether it's helping or speaking an encouraging word, that, God, we will come along and pray for one another and encourage each other. God, I thank you for every word of encouragement that's been spoken to me, every hand of encouragement that's been given to me, every card, Lord. But tonight, I pray that we will spread that far and wide in our church. And God, when we open our door, help us not to fear a few flies. Help us not to fear that that can be dealt with easily. Rather, help us to fear, Lord, that we become insensitive, that we become numb, that we become indifferent so that, Lord, we receive condemnation and not commendation from you. Make us like the church in Philadelphia. And finally this evening, Lord, I choose joy. I choose victory. And as much as it's possible for me to do so, Lord, I choose joy and I choose victory for every person in this congregation. But Lord, I choose joy and I choose victory in Jesus' name for Woodland Church. Hallelujah. I bless you in the name of Jesus that people who have kicked you out of their social circle that people who have chose to ignore or ostracize you because of your faith, that they will come and they will bow down and acknowledge that you are the one that God loves. And that you, in turn, will reach out to them in love and lift them up and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. That as God has opened a door for you, you will allow God to use you to show them the open door. Jesus is that door. So I bless you tonight that the presence of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be so rich upon your life that even your enemies will have to acknowledge the hand of God upon you. And they will say, what's different about you? They will ask one another, what's that I sense in their presence? They will come to you and they will call you the beloved of the Lord. Now I start a brand new series Sunday morning called Once Upon a Time. It's the stories of Jesus. And I want you to think right now who's somebody you could invite there's an open door at Woodland. And I promise you we're going to do everything we can along with you to show them they're loved by God and that they matter to us. And I want you to write their name down. 
And I want you to pray for them every day for the rest of this week and call them, send them a Facebook message, send them an email, but speak to them personally and ask them to join you at church Sunday morning. I hope you've written that name down. Now I want you to pray for them right now while you're in the altar. You can just pray something like, Lord, here's my friend. I don't know where to begin. I pray that you'll help me just to listen. I pray that you'll help me to just give an invitation. And I pray that whether they say yes or no, I'll still be their friend. And I'll keep praying. And I believe that you'll open their eyes to their need of Christ. But dear Father, let them not be moved by my words, but by the presence of your Holy Spirit upon my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And you just pray something like that every day and you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how God will just open up doors. They'll seem serendipitous, but it'll be the visible spirit of God at work in your life. And all God's people agreed together and said, amen, amen, amen and amen. God bless you. I love you. If you got any questions or if you want the rest of the fill-ins that maybe I didn't go over tonight, just see me and I'll help you with them.